I am frustrated about how uh, I can't do everything. Like the greatest frustration, the greatest grief of my life truly is that I cannot do all of the things that I want to do. And also coming to terms with that is essential for managing my expectations about how much one human being can actually accomplish in a day. And that includes my ambition, it includes how I show up for my work, but it also includes my relationships with other people. You know, I can't expect to uh, be there for my baby every time she needs me, make food, feed myself, drink enough water, you know, make food for other people in my house, live in a clean house, launch a thing, also be there, you know, all day long for tech support for my friends and family, like something has to give. And um, so being, it's important for me to be really intentional about my capacity um, while nourishing that capacity so that it is as expansive, as like flexible and resilient as possible. That was Mara Glatzel, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 187. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I've so been looking forward to introducing you to today's guest, who's actually back on the podcast for the second time. So I guess maybe reintroducing is a better way to say it. And I can't wait to dig into our honest conversation about boundaries and self-care. What a perfect topic for the final day of 2019, right? But before we get to that, I would really like to tell you a little bit about what's been going on in our Patreon community. And I would also love to invite you to join us today. If you've been loving this podcast, if it's been making you laugh, think, and feel less alone, I would love for you to join our Patreon community. As I'm sure you know by now, I've said it a million times, this is a 100% listener-supported show. What does that mean? It means that we don't have any ads or sponsors and that these conversations are financially supported by awesome regular people just like you who give $1 or more per episode. It's your funding that allows the show to get made. It literally could not happen without your support. And as a big thank you, I'm so thrilled to be able to offer lots of community-only exclusive bonuses, like the new 10-minute Q&A mini-sodes where I answer community member questions, my monthly real-life and real-time reflections series with Julia Hanlon of the Running on Ohm podcast. That's a favorite uh, for sure. My link love lists where I share links to all the best things I'm reading, watching, buying, listening to each month. Our live small group Google Hangouts, those are a blast. A totally transparent end-of-month business and money report where I detail the financial and business side of Real Talk Radio and more. So if you're interested in bonuses like that, and if you're in a place to be able to contribute $1 or more per episode, which adds up to just $3 per month, I would so, so appreciate it. Right now, I've set a funding goal that when it's met, will allow me to get transcripts made for future episodes, a costly but important step in making the show more inclusive for all, and I would love your support to help make that happen. To learn even more about the Patreon community and the four different funding levels that you can choose from, and to join the 440 plus people who are already proudly supporting this work, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Thank you so much for joining us. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Mara Glatzel. 
Mara is an intuitive coach, writer, and podcast host who helps perfectionists and people pleasers redefine their self-care and reclaim their sovereignty. She's also a queer femme wife and mother of two, a recovering control freak, relatable, and a human who deeply understands the impulse to relegate her needs to the bottom of a very long to-do list in an attempt to prove her worth. Her superpower is saying what you need to hear when you need to hear it, and she's here to help you believe in yourself as much as she believes in you. In this episode, Mara and I dig into a deep and honest conversation about boundary setting, what it means, how to do it, what boundaries look like in our real messy lives. We also talk about self-care and how we can better tend to our own needs with the goal of keeping ourselves in good working order. When it comes to the topic of how to care for myself, Mara's work is one of my biggest teachers. Her vulnerability in this conversation is honestly so healing and helpful, and it's the absolute perfect way to wrap up the year. I can't wait for you to listen to this, and I hope that you feel just as comforted by it as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, we are rolling. Mara, welcome to the show. Ah, Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. When I was thinking about what I wanted to have as my final episode of the year, I started thinking about this probably like three months ago, I guess, because that's the way my mind works. Like, what do I want to end on? What's the topic? What's the person? Who's the person? And it was 100% you. And I'm very happy that you said yes. Oh, yay. That makes me feel so good. Thank you so much for asking me. So typically, the structure of these conversations, we have the conversation and then end on some like a rapid fire questions. Um, But I thought with sort of the year and I guess like theme that we're working on that we could switch it a little bit and I could ask you, I don't know, like eight-ish sort of end of year reflection style rapid fire questions first as like a fun place to start if you are down to answer some random questions about your year. Totally. Tell me one of the most fun things that you did this year. Oh, most fun things. I took myself on a baby moon to North Conway, uh, New Hampshire for a, a little retreat before the baby got here. And it was the first time that I'd been away by myself since my uh, older daughter, Delphina, was born. And it was really, really fun. It was beautiful up there. And I ate a lot of delicious food because I was super pregnant. And yeah, it was great. It was a good time. Good company. Yeah. Going alone means great company, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's been one of your most sticky challenges this year? Uh, Well, I um, had my my younger daughter, Freya, at the end of May, and I was almost a week and a half overdue. So that was challenging. But since she's been born, she is super allergic to everything basically everything. And, um, as a result, I have been eating the same 10 foods since August. And, um, in some ways it's, it's, it's simplifying my life because I only eat 10 things and it's very easy to plan and shop for. Um, but it has been really, really challenging to just feel like my nutritional needs are met and, um, completely reevaluate my relationship with food. I realized that, you know, part of what food did for me was be fascinating or interesting or exciting. Like I would get excited about what I was going to cook or ingredients that I found at the store. 
And so that's forced me to really um, create a new relationship with myself around how I how I conjure up that kind of excitement or, you know, day to day kind of um, fun uh, in in my everyday life. Yeah, ooh, I, I've been watching you talk about that right on Instagram for the, I don't know, I guess past couple of months or since it's been happening. And I appreciate the honesty around it. I this is, a, you know, not the same circumstances as you, but I am experimenting with some like dietary nutritional changes, um, hopefully for my endometriosis symptoms. And I was really resistant to doing it for a long time, because similarly to a lot of what you just said, right, the like joy and excitement over food and not wanting to be in any kind of like a restrictive place. And that's not great for my mental health. And I just was really kind of dragging my feet on it until the point where like, symptomatically, I got it, it basically it got bad enough that I was willing to do something about it. And it's it's been challenging for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially I mean, you know, for me, I have a disordered eating history. So it was it's really challenging from that perspective of like, I'm doing this is, this is well, and also it's not for me directly, like I feel fine. So it's a very strange kind of thing to experiment with how you take care of yourself and also the stories that you tell yourself about how you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in this, I guess this my assumption is you're making these changes because you're breastfeeding, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that there is an end date for you, hopefully? Hopefully. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's tricky because, you know, having a kid with, with such extreme allergies, she may grow out of all of them. Or, you know, I may need to nurse her for much longer than I nursed my older daughter, mm -hmm. which... Um, you know, is challenging in and of itself being a person who works and, you know, I like to travel for work and it really, it really limits how far I can go and what I can, what I can do, which is beautiful in some ways because it's kind of that tie is, is intended to support both the mother and the child, I think during that first year of life, but it's, it's complicated for other things, right? Around my own personal ambition or just my sense of self, um, independent of, of my role as a mother. Yeah. I obviously can't personally relate to this, but I have a, a friend who described it as really craving her body autonomy, like getting that back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, no, don't touch me. Don't, you know, like I want my body to be a hundred percent mine again. And, um, that felt like a really honest <laughs> thing when she said that to me. Yes, Absolutely. Who invested in you and really showed up for you this year? Mm. Um, this year, this past year, both of my sisters and my mother all moved back to uh, my town. And it has been amazing. Like they've all really both, you know, my sisters, my mom and my dad all have really supported us in this year of just bringing another child into our life. And, you know, my dad like comes over every time there's like a leak in the window or, you know, all these sticky homeowner things that totally stress me out. Um, when my partner goes out of town for work, one of my sisters often comes and stays and really helps me with the kids. So it has felt like this, um, upswell of family support, uh, over the past year that just is, is so amazing. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, because nobody really lived here when my first daughter was born. And the difference is just phenomenal, uh, in, in terms of 
don't know, just having food or having help or having somebody who comes over and, you know, when my baby was really small, coming over just to hold the baby for two minutes so I could take a shower, that kind of thing. Um, so both logistical and emotional support has been really important to me this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, especially because for me, 2019 has been a year where I've been really on the go. It's a big been a big transition year. I've, I think I did the math relatively recently, and including the long hike that I went on where like, technically, you're sleeping somewhere different every night, because it's like, you know, walk to the new place, camp there, walk to the new place, camp there, Mm -hmm. that I by the end of the year will have slept in like, well over 80 places this year. And that feels really wild and fun. And also like very, not grounded, right? And I've been thinking a lot about sort of what home is and how community plays into that, particularly if you don't live close to your family or if your family's really spread out, which is the case for me. And, you know, what does it look like to build roots with a chosen family? And what happens when you're not in the same place all year? And I don't have answers to any of these questions, but it's definitely been on my mind a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that that, I don't know, you know, I talk a lot about self-care, obviously, but you know that piece of community care and and being a part of something and you know having i don't know i really like it when people say like know me when i go to the post office or go to the cafe and i know them so it's like even like people who are close to you but also just the broader community uh i think that that community care is really important too for helping us feel that rooted sense of understanding ourselves in context of a place. Yeah. I feel like one of my more like deeply held unpopular opinions is like the how much I love small talk, right? Like exactly the types of things you're saying. Like <laughs> it's the person who like knows you at the coffee shop or the, you know, just the like couple sentence either like check in or banter back and forth, those kind of connections I actually really enjoy them. Me too. It's so funny because 2019 has been the year where I realized that I'm not actually an introvert, (laughs) Um, which was, has been hilarious, like in and of itself that, you know, as my, my older daughter has grown up, she's really intense. Like she's always performing. She's super social. She's really extroverted. And in watching her somewhere over the course of this year, I realized, wow, you know, I used to be like that. And I used to just like relish in receiving attention. And, you know, at a certain point, being that shiny, sparkly kind of a person becomes really complicated socially. And so I think that um, one of the ways that I've kept myself safe and small over the course of my life is to really reduce that um, and, and, you know, call, call myself an introvert and say, like, oh, I just kind of, you know, I just like to whatever, hang out, be low. Like, I don't like small talk. I don't like all of these things. And it has been the shock of my lifetime to remember these parts of myself and to notice, like, actually, I love to, like, shoot the shit with people you know, just randomly wherever I am and be extroverted and be, it's, it's just so, it is so funny how sometimes we lose and refine these parts of ourselves that seem so foundational, but, but that we, that we lose touch with for, for, for a period of time. 
Well, I feel like that's the catch-22 with any sort of label or category like that, where on one hand, it can feel like such a relief if there is a word to describe, you know, a way of being that you have felt alone, right? Like, I know, for, I'm sure for some folks, like, learning about introversion has been like, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with me, right? Like, that type of thing. And I think this can apply to lots of different sort of, like, personality type things or, you know, anything like this. And then also, I have to, for me personally, be careful of not, like, letting whatever the label is become like what I think of as an identity cage, right? Where it's like, well, I'm this way and people who are this way only do these five things. So then now I only do those five things and it just like doesn't leave any room for change or fluidity within like me and who I am. And that's something that I have bumped up against quite a bit in the past few years. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's true. What's uh, one mistake that you made this year? Oh, What's one mistake that I made this year? I, (laughs) this is sort of silly, but I just went to my accountant and he had told me that we're, my partner and I had to set up our like big adult business identities this year, um, and become S corps. And he said that I could do it at any point during the year. So of course I left it until, you know, the very end of the year. And then he was like, well, you could do it at any point during the year, like up until now, now it's too late. So, you know, there have been a lot of things like that, like paperwork things or getting, you know, returning mail things um, that have gone by the wayside in in the sleeplessness of the last six months of my life. Um, But I think, I don't know, for me, that's kind of par for the course with, with not getting a ton of sleep. So I haven't been too bothered by it, but I have noticed that my usual ability to keep track of that kind of stuff has been uh, less than spectacular this year. Yeah, I recently had to have a little check in with myself about what I think of as my life admin list, right? Like it's not necessarily admin stuff for my business, but just like life things like appointments or tech stuff or just the things that I feel like for me keep getting moved from to do list to do list. And I was finally like, okay, like these six things that I have moved from one to do list to another for the last like literal months and months and months, like they are not coming into 2020 with me. Like I am doing these things. Yes. Yes, exactly. And how good that feels. Yeah, it does. I mean, sometimes I I will say that one of the things that I wish maybe I can change it about myself, is this type of procrastination. And I know that I'm not alone because I've had the same conversation with so many people of like, why do we put off the things that we think, I think it's going to be such a big deal. And then it takes like 20 minutes to do it. And yet I've been thinking about it for eight months. (laughs) Oh my gosh, like every time. And then it's just kind of the, have to be nice to myself about it. But yeah, I uh, sometimes those things I'm like, wow, I could have done this like six months ago and not thought about it low key for six months. Yeah, I have a, a way that I deal with that. Um, in my life, because that it was a big problem for me, not just the doing it, which, you know, is in and of itself. But what, what really got to me was like that energy that I was hemorrhaging into worrying about the thing that I was just like not doing, even if it was low key, it was just like, oh, you know, I'm spending, you know, this much energy doing that. And so I developed a kind of complex or not complex, a simple uh, bribery system for myself where at the last day of every, the last work day of every month, I make myself (laughs) do all the things that are kind of like languishing at the end of the list from that month and then give myself something really good as a reward. Mm. Yeah. I love the reward system. I'm all about (laughs) self-bribery. 
Yeah. Well, I just found that it was like, okay, you know, I don't know, whatever it was that I would want, like a massage or like go out to eat something or um, something like that. But you know what I mean? That it was like, it was easier to push through those last things by that same kind of logic of like, I just am not taking that into February, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get done with it. And then I'm going to do something really nice. And it's going to feel like this way to wrap up this month and move into the new month with a clean slate. Because I had noticed that I was, there were some things that were really just like, it was like I had a whole to-do list that I could just tape onto the bottom of every to-do list that, um, of things I was avoiding. Okay, well, I just wrote that down. Life admin day, end of the month. Thank you. I'll be stealing that. I I have found in reflecting on this issue because I don't have a hard time doing it for my business, right? Like these types of tasks for whatever reason. But I have found that in working for myself, like I become more resentful of like the life admin tasks, maybe because like I want to break from feeling like I'm always in charge. But I it's it was it's been interesting to notice that when I didn't work for myself that this stuff wasn't such a struggle. Yeah. So, well, and I agree. I mean, I, you know, there's a, there's a heaviness to it of just feeling like you're responsible for everything all of the time, Mm -hmm. which is what it means to be an adult, of course, of course. But I think that when you're doing that both for your business and also for your life, I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling like when I'm doing a lot of that, uh, being the director of my business things like most time, I mean, I don't really know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for a while now, but whenever I'm at a new, um, new edge, I, I'm really just making things work in a way that feels right to me and hoping that it flies, which, you know, I love taking those sorts of risks. That's why I'm in this, this line of work, but there is a heaviness to it that I think, then spills over and you're like, I just made, you know, X, Y, and Z call for, for this business thing that I, you know, was overwhelming. And now I don't want to go to the eye doctor. Right. (laughs) You know, like I don't want to be an adult anymore. Can somebody else go to the eye doctor um, or figure out my health insurance? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm in the health insurance hall right now, figuring that out for next year. So if you would like a health insurance buddy, (laughs) we can do that very unsexy thing together, which I mean, and it's funny, I say that jokingly, but I have actually found a lot of joy in sort of the buddy system for unsexy life tasks like hey Mm -hmm. can we like run these like really boring errands together or like remembering that sure i am an adult and i'm in charge of the things but you know that there can be like fun and community there too yes yeah totally what's one thing that you feel you've learned this year Uh, well, that introvert extrovert thing was pretty uh big learning curve for me um But another thing that I learned this year was kind of just the, um, like another, because this is an issue I've been kind of doing thinking on and learning about for the last couple of years, but just another level of really um, over the course of my life, how I have believe that I need to be a certain way in order to be loved. And that's something that I just have been experimenting with for a couple of years, but it felt like this year, I really kind of started to understand the piece about I have to be who I am. And there are going to be some people who aren't along for the ride. And up until this point, I think that last piece, there's going to be some people who aren't along for the ride really just stopped me because it felt really scary. 
And so, you know, this year, um, as I started really giving myself, I think my intention for this year was, uh, my truest self is welcome here. And as I started to kind of put that into practice, in some ways, some of my worst fears were realized because the reality was not everyone was here for my truest self. And, you know, the possibility that some people in your closest relationships might feel that way, of course, is terrifying. But something this year just brought me to that brink of, you know, living in this way that's ingenuine to who I actually am is so impossible that it's it's got to be worth the risk to show up fully. And it's been really deep, deep learning for me. I Can I ask you some follow-up questions about that? Yeah. So I think this idea that, you know, be your truest self and like the people who matter will come along, right? Like I think there's a lot of sort of cliche things that are often said about that type of stuff, right? Like the right fit people will be there. And I think that that's one of those things that like sounds fine or like makes logical sense in theory. And then once we're actually going through it, like to your point, can be really painful or can be really complicated. And so obviously I'm not like looking for you to throw anybody under the bus or anything, but um, in the example that you were sharing of, you know, like, hey, I realized that some people weren't really along for the ride. When you say that, what do you mean? Does that mean that you wound up having sort of relationship changing conversations that people just sort of faded away? Like I'm interested in what the reality of that experience was like for you. Mm, Well, some people kind of faded away and it wasn't that the relationship ended. It was just like, oh, you know, kind of we're repositioning ourselves in terms of closeness or how often we're spending time with one another. Um, but I did, uh, lose a significant friendship at the end of last year and it was horrible, but you know, it was this point of really realizing like, wow, okay. You know, the way that you see me is different than the way that I see myself and the way that, you know, we have been friends up to this point is different than how I want to feel in my friendships. And I had really not ever one time in my life, like I've never broken up with anybody that I've been romantically dating. I've never, like, I have never said ever, you know, that's the line. And now you've crossed it. And here we are, like, this is, this is over, (laughs) which, you know, part of that is, is my nature that I'm just really, kind of expansive and I give people like a lot of room. I try not to take things personally, but you know, I just, I just sort of with this situation started to realize like, Hey, okay. You know, I, I do in fact want to have parameters for how people treat me and how people show up in my relationships. And uh, when it comes back to letting my truest self um, be welcome here, you know, it's it's taking ownership of these are the boundaries that I need to be able to be my most like vibrant and unencumbered self here. And I want to be able to show up in my relationships as I am without constantly having to feel like the relationship only works because I am a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I had a, I used to have a lot of relationships like that and they've kind of drifted away. That's at like, you know, just like drifting away over time. But this last relationship really came to this point where I was like, well, this doesn't feel good to me. And it was really scary and really powerful for me personally to 
to have that kind of breaking point and also caused me to look at all of the, the relationships in my life where I really felt celebrated and welcomed um, to be who I am, which doesn't mean that it's without complication, right? Because, you know, there's, there's complication and there's disagreement and conflict and all of that can be super healthy in a relationship. But I think that that's different than wanting somebody to be somebody other than who they are. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had the experience of being on the other side of it where like someone else is maybe growing, changing, stepping into a different version of themselves and you're not the right fit for them anymore? Never in a direct way. Um, although with this situation with this friend, I think that is exactly like it it just, it happened kind of simultaneously Mm -hmm. where we were just both not the right fit for one another. And did you have a conversation about that? Um, no, it became really obvious and confrontational and, um, more, it was more, I was more able to see that in retrospect, thinking about it over and over and over again for the last year. Yeah, I feel like friendship is a theme that has come up in lots of different conversations, especially in, I don't know, the last like six or seven months in, in my life and on the podcast and in the Patreon community. And like this idea of navigating changes in relationships where um, maybe the lines aren't as clear cut of like, do we need to have a breakup conversation, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Or this type of stuff. And um, I always just think it's really valuable. So thank you when people are willing to be honest about like, hey, here's sort of this messy thing that happened. And the idea that there isn't necessarily like a rule book for this type of stuff. But I don't know a single person who hasn't or isn't currently dealing with this on some level. Absolutely. And you know, there's, there's for people who like to do things the right way, capital R, capital W and perfect way, like myself, and I'm sure others, it is really uncomfortable to be in that space of not, not having a playbook and, you know, navigating, you're like, okay, well, my feelings are hurt. So I'm being reactive, but actually, you know, this is my truth and that feels important. And, you know, making it, um, making it work, uh, however it does making sense of it, however you can. And I think that the, in the aftermath of something like that too, really, um, having your own back because sometimes when things are murky, there's a tendency to beat yourself up for it over and over and over and over again. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I generally try to believe that we're all doing the best that we can with the tools that we have on hand, which includes us. (laughs) Um, And it can be really humbling to realize like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't do that in a way that I, you know, I, I might, I would wish maybe that I had done that differently. But, but also, you know, I did the best that I could. And I can do it differently next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also been thinking about the value in just like allowing ourselves to grieve relationship changes if that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. You know, and then mm-hmm. it, it can be like, if it feels like a loss, like it's okay to be sad about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, really like deeply sad. Yeah. Yeah. And that that takes time to get over, right? And Absolutely. it's not, it's something that I think we see pop culture wise, like talked about a lot about romantic relationships and not as much about relationships that aren't that. (laughs) Yes. Of everything that you read, watched or listened to this year, what would you say are your top couple of recommendations? 
Oh, geez. Um, Shit's Creek. Yeah, same. <laughs> like, I mean, I started watching it because I thought it was like a ridiculous and mindless way to pass the time while I was nursing my daughter when she was first born. And it ended with me like sobbing hysterically on the floor um, in the final episodes, just like thinking it was so brilliant. Um, so that was fantastic. I... This this year uh, heralded my return to my get to work book, um, which I know you use one as well. But that planner like really put things back into perspective for me. Um, so that was very useful. I have been reading the book Burnout, uh, which has is really useful for me professionally, but also personally, just thinking about how um, how people get to a point of burnout and um, what to do with Ben. Um, what else have I truly loved? That's all I can think of for now. Well, I heavily agree with all three of those recommendations. So <laughs> exclamation points at the end of all of those for sure. Um, oh, good. The last one of these kind of end of year type questions that I wanted to ask you, your Instagram bio reads, I'm here to help you take up space. Can you share one important way that you took up space yourself over the past year? God, yeah. So part when I say like that your truest self is welcome here, beyond the cliche, really what I mean by that is that your 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 most human self. And so for me, this is like the part that I would just like question and censor and make as, you know, like cover up as much as possible. And so, so in my re- relationship with my partner, um, over the course of the last year, it's like, she's just really has had enough of me talking about my feelings, but <laughs> I am a feeler. And this has, <laughs> this has been the year of really taking up space by not making my feelings small, um, not pushing my needs to the wayside to prioritize the needs of everybody else around me. But most importantly, make, bringing things to an explicit level. So not uh, making my needs small, not because somebody's asked me to do something, but because I perceive they have a need, I intuit that they have a need. You know, I'm like doing some kind of emotional super sleuthing and, you know, thinking that they might might possibly perhaps wonder if I could do this thing, like not doing any of that. And it's really uncomfortable um, because that's a lot of how I learn to be in the world and learn to be in relationship. Um, And so that's been just like glorious and messy in and of itself. Um, But it's, it's caused me to also be more explicit about my needs and say, you know, Hey, uh, can you do this thing for me? Or, Hey, this is what I need, um, to ask for help and not in a, you know, if you maybe have a moment and you don't mind and your schedule is completely clear and, you know, on the harvest moon of the 10th month of the, you know, (laughs) whatever, but just be like, what would be really great for me is, and lead with, uh, I don't know if you know Marsha Baczynski. She's fantastic. Um, but she has she has a prompt that she's given to me in the past, which is about leading with that, like 100% of what you need, 100% of your vision, so that then um, 
you know, maybe you get 50%, but you certainly get more than if you like whittle your vision way down before you even come to the compromising table. So I've been working on taking up space in that way and saying like, what, you know, my like dream scenario for the situation would be is X, Y, and Z. Um, and taking the conversation from there, which is, is so uncomfortable. I can't even tell you how uncomfortable it is, but it's great. It's great too. And it really, um, you know, it made me realize how, how rare it is to have a conversation with somebody where you actually hear them verbalize what their ideal outcome in a situation is and how much I really would like to hear that from more of the people in my life. Mm, Yeah. Can you give a specific example of a time when you did that? Yeah, it would be like, like today I was like it, you know, this is a smaller example, but my, my (laughs) ideal morning would be, this is like after a long a uh, couple of days with both of my kids. It's like, I want to be like by my, <laughs> by myself in the bathroom, take a shower, have my cup of coffee, like do dry brushing, put on moisturizer, uh, watch a heart of Dixie episode on my phone, you know, like do the whole thing for like an hour in without being able to hear either of my children speak or cry. That's like with my ideal. Like if I could ask for anything today, that's what I would want. And luckily my partner was game for that today. It felt really good. Um, but it's usually those kinds of things where it's like, I know it's going to inconvenience somebody else because it's going to make them have to like sort of pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. Um, which even though, I mean, you know, you're, you're parenting with somebody, it's equal slack, but you know, I'm just innately really good at, uh, assuming all of the discomfort in a situation. So it forces me to be like, oh, here, will you hold on to this TV cryy baby and take the other kid to preschool while I like watch Heart of Dixie on my phone and dry brush my body and take a shower. (laughs) But, you know, that's what I needed after a couple of days of doing the same thing, essentially. So it's stuff like that. First of all, hell yes to Heart of Dixie. I can't tell you how many times I've rewatched that show. That's like part of my emotional comfort food, (laughs) like for sure. (laughs) So you are definitely not alone in that. Um, it's so that's so interesting what you said about like being the one who like tends to assume all of the discomfort in a space. I don't remember if that's exactly the words that you use, but I can relate to that so much. And that's the kind of thing that it like seems like the good or right thing to do when you're doing it, and yet it's also quite exhausting. And can I have found for me be sort of manipulative as well? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and you know really, it's like I'm trying to control an uncontrollable situation. You know, and something else I noticed in myself this year is how often I want to say to my partner, mostly, because I wouldn't have the balls to say this to somebody else, but like, can you just be happy? (laughs) Can you just, because what I really want is for, you know, I want to know that everything's okay. And I can only know that everything's okay when you're smiling about it, which of course is all kinds of controlling, um, and, you know, deserves much unpacking. But I think that that's, that's the piece too, of really letting other people tolerate their discomfort. Um, not only is there right, uh, but also when you disentangle the kind of energetic boundaries of the situation, 
when you let other people tolerate their own discomfort, you're also saying to them kind of, you know, quietly, unconsciously that you trust in their ability to do that. So what kind of message are you giving when you're, you know, I, in my work, I always talk about like, there's a boundary, there's like a fence around a plot of land. And that's my, my space and the fence is the boundary. And, you know, I think about how my partner has like a adjacent plot of land with a little fence. And so, you know, I call it fence hopping when I'm hopping your fence and mucking around in your plot of land without having been asked. Um, the message that I'm giving to you is that I don't trust or respect your ability to do that on your own. And it's really important to me, um, even as it's very challenging, because of course it's like, I'm not trying to be manipulative. I'm not trying, like nobody sets out to necessarily be controlling in that way. I'm trying to be helpful. I'm trying to earn my keep. I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to secure a sense of safety through helping you. All of which has nothing to do with the other person, everything to do with me. And pulling that apart gives such a powerful opportunity to let people do things their own way and in their own timing. And it can feel uncomfortable to watch them. It's amazing how much more comfortable I am helping other people with their discomfort than just sitting in my own. But yeah, I think that um, that piece of you know, just not being that like vacuum cleaner for, <laughs> for discomfort that's anywhere in the room is just really powerfully transforms how you show up in every, any given space. And there's a lot to unlearn in terms of, you know, how you're, how you're doing that and a lot to learn about other ways to be in relationship without taking responsibility for all of the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't tell you how much I relate to this at last fall, a little before that, but mostly last fall, I started consciously trying to work on, and I think it's very related to what we're talking about, not like feeling responsible for micromanaging other people's emotional climates, which I think is essentially mm-hmm. just like a different way of saying what you're saying, right? That, you know, uh, someone that I'm in relationship with, like they can be uh, angry or sad or any of those things, right? And it's different if like, I have done something, right? Then I hope that they communicate to me like, hey, actually, this is about you. We need to talk about this, right? Like that's sort of a separate uh, issue, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. in a case where it's not that, that they're allowed to have those feelings and I don't have to fix those feelings. And like my sort of choice to opt out of fixing that doesn't mean that i don't have value in that relationship. And that's a thing that I've been consciously working on for a little over a year and has been very uncomfortable, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super uncomfortable. Um, that's so important. I mean, so like it just completely transforms relationships to show up in that way of being energetically clear. Yeah. So I think um, you've mentioned boundaries in a couple of different contexts so far, and I would like to dig into that a little bit more. I feel like it's interesting, like both with boundaries, with self-care, which obviously I know we're going to talk about in more detail today. There are these like words or terms that I feel like get talked about a lot at sort of a surface level. Like maybe we all think we know what boundaries mean, or we all think that we know what self-care means, and yet maybe not, right? Like, and I, you know, they can mean different things to different people, but I would love if you're open to doing sort of like a, like boundary setting 101, like when you think about boundaries, like what does that actually mean? And maybe a couple examples of what that looks like in your real life? Yeah. 
Um, so I'm a visual learner. <laughs> so visual, a visual representation of a boundary is really profound for me, um, just in terms of how I conceive of it. So I always think about it like, um, here's like this plot of land, uh, and that's mine to, to tend to, um, around it's a fence. The fence may be completely dilapidated depending on, you know, how, how I have been attending to my boundaries up until this point, but there's a fence, there's a gate and everything that's inside of this territory is my responsibility. Those are my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, my reactions, the consequences of my actions. And everyone else has their own such plots of land with their fences. And, you know, their responsibility are their thoughts, feelings, actions, reactions, consequences of their actions. Um, A lot of times I get asked about how, you know, well, what happens with kids? You know, are they, are they not in, are they not more important than, than you, to which I firmly believe no. Uh, I sort of visualize kids as having like, um, you know, like they, they have like a pen, like on the outside of my perimeter. So I have to walk through my land to get to them, um, which is apt because my primary responsibility at all times is to tend to myself. And that means take responsibility for those things, my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, my reactions, all of that. And when it comes to the boundary Um, my responsibility is to clearly say what I am game for or what I am available for. And, you know, that might be like, uh, you know, somebody says, Hey, can you do this? And it's my responsibility to clearly and cleanly energetically say yes or no based on my available energy, not based on whether or not I want them to like me or whether or not I think it might be difficult for them to do it on their own, or I think I might do it better or, um, you know, any such reasoning, but to, to check in with myself and to see what energy I have available and to respond from that place. And then when it comes to, that's like one type of boundary. It's like whether I say yes or no to something that I'm being asked to take on. Uh, Another kind of boundary is, you know, that's like me going out of my, the gate of my fence. And another kind of boundary is like the, the fence, like somebody coming in. And I envision that I'm sort of the gatekeeper. I'm standing at the fence and I'm running everything through my own filtration system. Um, I am taking responsibility for deciding what enters into this plot of land. And that means that I decide whether or not I want that person's opinion of me to define myself or, you know, if I'm game for my relatives talking about my body at the Thanksgiving table, you know, and, and so when we think about it being what we're game for in that sense, it might, a boundary might look like, hey, if you continue to X, Y, Z, then I'm going to X, Y, Z. And, you know, those can be spoken aloud. You say, like, if you continue to talk about my body, I'm going to walk away. Um, can be quietly held to yourself. If they continue to talk about my body, I'm going to walk away. 
we don't have to express everything in order to um, relate our boundaries. Some, some boundaries, um, you know, the other person may not be available to receive them, uh, but we may set them for ourselves nonetheless. But really coming back to this piece of how we, how we express the many ways that we express what we are available for. And, you know, I think that, um, it just really comes back to intentional use of energy and being really clear about what your responsibility is and what you're saying yes to. Um, and also how you're feeling about it. Because when I think about how do I know, how do I know that I should have set a boundary and I didn't? Well, anger is a really powerful way. Anger is like a neon sign pointing at a hole in your fence. Uh, and, and sometimes we don't even know, um, what is making us so angry. We need to spend some time walking it back. But whenever you find yourself feeling angry, resentful, put upon, like nobody cares about your stuff, you're prioritizing everybody else's needs. Nobody cares about your needs. Um, nobody's holding your time as sacred, all of that, that kind of mucky, like, Ugh, I'm the only one in here. Nobody cares. I'm, you know, I'm doing for other people so that in, in, in only because I'm trying to teach them how I also want to be cared about without having to verbalize it, that's a boundary violation. So it comes back to this piece of being really clear about what we need from other people, um, what we are, uh, what we're willing to tolerate. You know, a boundary in a relationship might be, you know, this is, I'm, I don't want you to speak to me in this way. Or, you know, on the other hand, in order for me to thrive, because boundaries aren't just these kind of ultimatums or they're not ultimatums at all. Um, but, you know, they're not just like, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. But also, you know, like, this is what I need to thrive in a relationship, that's also a boundary, right? That's, that's knowing, um, where your edges end and what you need in order to be personally in good working order. And it's not about foisting that, um, responsibility for your needs onto somebody else, because it's not their job to meet your needs. It's your job to meet your needs, but we're not islands. So, you know, a lot of these needs are met in relationship. And so then it becomes our job to be explicit about what we are available for in terms of showing up for somebody else and what we're not. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that makes me want to ask you, you know, when you were talking about, you know, someone says, Hey, can you do this for me? And it's the, you know, am I available for this boundary? How do you think of sort of I don't know if it's like a versus thing, but like boundaries versus compromise, right? Because I think that there's like something in there that's an interesting question of like, I can do this, but I don't really want to, but like for the sake of the relationship, like I, I guess what I'm asking is this kind of stuff for me always feels like more nuanced than what it seems at mm -hmm. the surface. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it makes me think, I haven't totally thought this through, but it makes me think that there's like a meeting of boundaries and also values in there. Um, 
because, you know, for me, it's a high value to show up for my relationships, which, which inherently means a certain amount of compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if I were just doing what I wanted to do all of the time, uh, then my life would look really different. Um, but when, how I think about that is, you know, that what I'm available for energetically is different than what I want to do. Maybe without, you know, like just on my own, um, what I'm available for energetically is whether I actually have that capacity to do the thing that you need. So like, for example, right now, uh, my partner cookie, uh, has a business of her own cooks organics. She makes this magnesium cream. That's amazing. And she's running a sale and I do like her social media and write her emails and stuff. Are there not a million of other things that I could do with my time other than do that? Certainly. Uh, but you know, that is a decision that I made. She said, well, Hey, I want to do this thing. Are you available to, run the social media and, um, write the emails for me during this time frame. And so my assessment of my own energy is, you know, am I in good enough working order? Are my base needs, most essential needs met well enough that I'm able to do this without feeling resentful or put out or, you know, like I have to sacrifice my most essential needs, like good nutrition, getting some rest, feeling well taken care of physically. Um, Am I, do I have the available energy to, to say yes to that? Yes or no. And so that's a little bit different of a conversation than like, you know, if I could do anything today, would I be working on somebody else's social media? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Um, but that takes into account that piece of, I've already decided that, you know, I value, um, showing up and following through in my, my relationships. I value, you know, these are, there are people in my life who, uh, give a lot to me and I give a lot to them. It's a reciprocal relationship. And so, you know, I'm going to say yes to that. Whereas if random person on the street said, Hey, can you run my social media for this thing? I probably would say no. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good example. I mean, that's, I mean, one of the reasons, there's obviously many reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you, but specifically because I feel like you do such a beautiful job of acknowledging like really the human nuance in a lot of these things. Because I think boundaries, like anything else, it's really easy to tie like a bow around, well, it's supposed to look like this, right? And then like, I think for me, sometimes where that falls short is like, okay, but what about my actual messy life, (laughs) right? And so Mm -hmm. like the example that you just shared, I think like really speaks to that well. And it makes me want to ask you, like a sort of related follow-up question of maybe an example of like fluid versus strict boundaries, right? Like, do you feel like those are different categories for you? Like where there's some boundaries that are on like a sort of case by case basis. And then there's some things where you're like, this is a line in the sand. Totally. So, okay. So what is, what is the line in the sand for me is that I have the, time, um, and I'm putting in the effort. And this is really a a boundary with myself that I am safeguarding the space to have my most foundational needs met so that I am personally in as good working order as possible, you know, and that, that I am rigid about because I have to be, because, you know, if I start to say like, oh, well, you know, Today, I'm not going to 
brush my teeth, wash my face, whatever. Um, today I'm not going to eat food that nourishes my body. Today I'm not going to drink water. Um, my personal sense of self will degrade rapidly, uh, and I will be available for nothing. Right. So what I'm the most rigid about are the really like the core essentials of how I take care of myself every day. And this is not like glamorous or next level. It's really like having the time in the morning and the evening to wash my face, look at myself in the mirror, spend a couple of minutes, just like brushing my teeth, like down downtime without being on my phone, checking my email, talking to somebody else, you know, holding the baby while I'm also brushing my teeth, like really having that time by myself. And again, like five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, uh, drinking enough water, drinking water in the morning before I drink caffeine and trying to get to bed by 10 or 11 at the absolute latest. So those for me are like the foundational building blocks of what I have learned over the course of, you know, the last couple of years that I really, really need just like as a base level to keep myself functioning. And then, you know, of course there's like next level where like, I'd love to go outside every day and move my body every day. I'd love to, you know, have time to engage in a creative pursuit every day. And, you know, I, I endeavor to make those happen. Um, but then, you know, that's the more, the more flexible kinds of things. So that's what, you know, how it shows up in my relationship with myself, Mm, how it shows up in my relationship with relationships with other people is that I'm inflexible (laughs) about my primary needs being met. And that, enables me to have the capacity to even entertain showing up for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it becomes this dance of like, depending on what's, what's going on in my life, um, what I'm available for. And, you know, I will say generally speaking that I am frustrated <laughs> about how, uh, I can't do everything. Like, the greatest frustration, the greatest grief of my life truly is that I cannot do all of the things that I want to do. And also, coming to terms with that is essential for managing my expectations about how much one human being can actually accomplish in a day. And that includes my ambition, it includes how I show up for my work, but it also includes my relationships with other people. You know, I can't expect to be there for my baby every time she needs me, make food, feed myself, drink enough water, you know, meet food for other people in my house, live in a clean house, launch a thing, also be there, you know, all day long for tech support for my friends and family, like something has to give. So being, it's important for me to be really intentional about my capacity while nourishing that capacity so that it is as expansive as like flexible and resilient as possible. And I think that that piece is, that's why self-care is so important to me is because I want to, I want to use my energy to do things. So tending to my energy body is essential because otherwise I don't have any energy available to do the things that I want to do. I can't tell you how much you are speaking to my soul about the biggest grief (laughs) of your life being not being able to do all the things like it's that's just like the most relatable thing I feel anyone said to me this entire year like just (sighs) ah you are not alone in that let me tell you 
The last thing boundary-wise that I would love to ask, um, especially given that this is something that you work with lots of other folks on, have you found that there are a couple of common, like, biggest struggles when it comes to boundary stuff? Mm. Like, most common things that tend to come up for folks. Yeah, I mean, I think universally, uh, a lot of people really worry about being rejected if they are honest about what they want and need. And also the the limits of their capacity to show up for other people. And, you know, we do this complex dance of um, believing that uh, we need to be a certain way. Um, And usually that means like saying yes to all of the things, you know, in order to be valuable in the workplace, right? A valuable employee is one who says yes to everything, stays late, makes their needs small, doesn't go to the bathroom, doesn't, you know, get up from their desk for lunch, um, just accepts, accepts, accepts work that they are not being paid for. And in relationships, you see this too, where I think, I'm going to make it, I'm not sure if I'm lovable or not, um, or maybe I actively think that I'm not lovable. And so I'm apologizing for my perceived flaws by trying to earn my keep and make it really easy for you to love me mm-hmm. and really easy. So that's like on the kind of light side. I think the shadow side is that this is manipulative where, you know, really easy to love me is really close to, um, you know, making myself indispensable to try to earn my safety, to try and be really, really good to try to earn my safety because who would, you know, reject or get rid of somebody who's so good all of the time. And all of that is just this way that we try to keep ourselves safe. And, you know, whenever we, root our need for safety through somebody else through their validation or their love or you know their approval in the workplace um we're creating an inherently unstable unit so you know it's like imagine you're holding a rope and you hand some of the rope to somebody else and it's like okay this is i'm now like rooting my need for safety through your approval of me um without telling you that i'm doing that without even really being conscious probably about doing that. And now like you drop that rope and go make a sandwich or something. Cause you're a human, you're doing your own thing. Like you're not responsible for my meeting, my need for safety. Um, and now, um, that need is, is the way that need is being met is now a highly unstable unit. And so I think it's really important to, tend to our relationship with ourselves and be conscious, right? Like I talk about this, this plot of land with this, this, um, fence around it. And it's like knowing what is happening on this plot of land is our primary responsibility. Being the sovereign leader of our own life is our primary responsibility. And part of that is, really ensuring our own safety by having our own back and building a sense of self-trust in our relationship with ourselves. Um, because you want that, you know, you want to have that feeling that's been such a huge difference in my life personally to know, you know, okay, yeah, my partner leaves me. It's going to break my heart. If, 
you know, what's one of my worst case scenarios? Like something horrible happens to one of my kids. It's going to just ruin me. Um, you know, if I lost my business, that would be really sad. Um, all of these things that I truly care about, but if I've built my relationship with myself and I'm really attending to my own needs for safety, then I have this feeling of, you know, it could suck. It could totally suck. I I mean, just catastrophically suck, but I'm not going to abandon myself. And I think that that's like, if we, if we chase it down, you know, like, why don't we set boundaries? Well, because we, we want to be liked, Mm -hmm. we want to feel safe. And the, the deep, deep, deep inner work of liking ourselves, approving of ourselves, keeping ourselves safe goes a long way to supporting us in feeling like we we're going to be okay if we risk setting that boundary, if we risk allowing the truest version of ourselves into the world and having somebody not like it or reject us or, you know, say simply like, not for me, as is their right. Yeah, I'm really interested. You mentioned self-trust and sort of the link between self-care and self-trust, but this like trust aspect I think is interesting. Can you talk a little bit about what's helped you to build your own self-trust? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that self-care and self-trust are really um, intimately interwoven. And what has built my self-trust back up, um, I'll say working for myself has really helped build my self-trust, but also giving myself things to follow through on and becoming a person who follows through on things. Uh, has been really useful. You know, for most of my life, my self-care was this like laundry list of things I'd read about in magazines or read, you know, in listicles or this sort of like boilerplate. This is what everybody needs. Um, But really, self-care that if you see me, I'm like having so many air quotes right now, self quote unquote self-care, um, that is only worth my time because it's going to make me look a certain way or it's going to make me, it's like some sort of productivity hack. It's going to make me more money. It's going to make me, you know, be a better parent, be a better partner, be more organized. Like all of these ways of taking care of myself that are really just trying to earn my way to something that is better than who I am right now. That's not self-care, in my opinion. When I talk about self-care, I'm always bringing the question back to what do I need right now? And really uh, turning all of those questions towards yourself. You know, what does my body need? What does my spirit need? Um, How do I feel? Okay, you know, what boundary do I need to set? What do I want to ask for in this relationship? Like, but bring it back to me again and again and again and again and making it really personalized. And instead of this, like, I don't know if you ever did this, but I used to lie awake in bed and think like, okay, here's how I'm going to like completely reinvent my life. And, you know, 30 days. I'm gonna now here's this whole plan that's overwhelming me to a place of inaction, which of course, I can't make good on that plan. That plan is ridiculous. No human could ever make good on it. But 
Now, of course I can't make good on it because I can't trust myself. I never do anything. Now there's something wrong with me and I need even bigger of a plan to fix all of the things that are so very wrong with me. That way of relating to ourselves is devastating for self-trust because it reinforces this idea of I never follow through. I can't be trusted. I need more rules, more regimens, more regulations. I need to, you know, get a bigger, louder coach. I need a system. I need a planner. I need a book. I need a thing. I need, I need all of those things at the same time because there is just something so wrong with me that I need like a boatload of products and podcasts and books and systems and structures to fix. When really, when we start rebuilding that relationship with ourselves, getting curious, um, asking what we need. And, you know, it could be something so simple. My self-care regimen, which I still do today. So I talked about before those five minutes where I'm just brushing my teeth, washing my face, like spacing out, looking in the mirror, I don't know, plucking a few uh, eyebrow hairs, whatever. Like having that safeguarding that time for myself and doing it over and over and over again because it's not the actions that rebuild the self-trust it's the consistency which isn't about perfection I mean there are days that I'm gonna miss you know there's like a whole swath of time where I'm awake with my baby and is it like day or night I have no idea like you know how long has it been since I brushed my teeth who even am I right now um but so we, we, we endeavor to have this kind of consistency, that consistency rebuilds self-trust, but what else rebuilds self-trust is being in relationship with ourselves. And so for me, that's about approaching myself with curiosity and compassion and, you know, like a little bit of humor, like, okay, Mara, you know, what you need is to whatever, wash your face, brush your teeth. What you said you were going to do is do this for five minutes twice a day and it's been you know whatever like days have gone by um you haven't (laughs) you haven't been making good on this promise to yourself what's going on and how in a relational capacity that builds trust that builds closeness versus saying like mara like what's going on here? Like, you're such an idiot. You never follow through. Look, here's another thing, more evidence that, you know, no matter what you try, you're just not going to ever be good enough. You're just not ever going to follow through. You're never going to get anywhere. Like this other way of talking to ourselves, which is so brutal. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's this piece of figuring out what we need, finding these small things that we can like small steps, we can kind of like stack up on one another, which is not nearly as sexy as the reinvent my life in 30 days model, but actually works, you know, and actually gives us this opportunity to make good on these promises that we have to ourselves. And when we don't gives us this opportunity to be in relationship with ourselves and to ask what's going on and troubleshoot and get creative in a way that's, that's kind instead of cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, it's, let me see, let me go back. End of summer, end middle of summer 2017, so a couple years ago now, I set what I feel like is a firm boundary with myself of like to the best of my ability. And like you said, not in a cruel way, but telling myself the truth. Like that has become more than anything, like my personal most important self care practice. Like regardless of whether I, 
act on that truth or tell anyone else that truth or do anything about it. doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes and all of that. But that was sort of my realization was that everything that I wanted and like the kind of person that I wanted to be started with like first being honest with myself. And that's been such an interesting dynamic change of like at almost all the time being willing to tell myself the truth. And it's, it seems like almost funny for me to describe like that as self-care when self-care is thought of as this, like, I don't know, like obviously I like taking baths as much as the next person, but um, there's something in that for me that I'm like, that's what self-care has become to me. Mm-hmm. That's such a great example. Yeah. Telling yourself the truth. Um, so powerful. And again, from that perspective of building that trustworthy relationship with ourselves, it's like when we tell ourselves the truth, it is trustworthy versus, you know, we, it breeds mistrust when we, I don't know, don't look at the situation clearly and be honest about our feelings about it. Or, you know, for me, one aspect of my financial self-care is to be really clear about where my money is and what my debt situation is and, you know, all of the numbers and looking at it directly, um, which, you know, before I didn't trust myself because I didn't really, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever want to look at any of that directly. And it just seems like I was totally out of control and who trusts something that's totally out of control. And so, you know, at first it was not fun to open up all of my bills and look at them <laughs> and God forbid, add up the totals from different credit cards to like a, a total, a debt total, right? Doing that kind of stuff isn't what we talk about when we talk about traditional kind of, you know, bath bath, uh, and bath bomb sort of self care, but taking responsibility for whatever it is that you need to feel supported and to feel good and to trust in your ability that you're going to take care of yourself and have your own back no matter what happens. I think that's self care. Yeah, I think so too. Have you noticed that the way you think about or act on self care has changed over the last couple of years? Yes. Well, it's funny because it's like with the watering down of, of a topic, um, when it becomes like really like hip in the, the cultural vernacular, it's like, it means, it means everything. So it means nothing, which is like this, it's like how self care is boundaries, like all of these things kind of mean like, you know, we all talking about them early, like starts to mean nothing. But what I like about self care is it really can be anything and everything. And in some ways that makes it totally watered down. What does it mean? Does it mean anything at this point? But the truth is that it presents this opportunity for each and every one of us to claim our stake in it. And, you know, what I teach in all of my courses is, and my coaching, you know, it's like that it takes time. Really self-care is about getting to know yourself so that you can take care of yourself. And it's so highly individual that, we couldn't possibly ever say, you know, do this, 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 and this. But instead, I try to always think about like building frameworks for, you know, how can we be in a space of inquiry and building our relationship with ourselves so that we can find our own answers um, and make actionable plans based on those answers that we find, which is going to be hyper individual for each and every one of us. So, it's this funny space of like 
just totally hating the way that we talk <laughs> talk about everything mm-hmm. um, in the self the self help industry, and also being like, yeah, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's great. It's perfect because then it's this opportunity for each and every one of us to define it on our own terms. Okay. Yes. Love that. Uh, makes me want to ask a. I don't know, like why this feels vulnerable, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Sort of the difference between like culturally acceptable self care versus what we might actually need. Like I've bumped up against that this year, where some things have come up where I'm like, oh, if I'm really honest with myself, my actual need in this situation, or you know, the way that I want to take care of myself, whatever it is, you know, X Y Z thing, and I don't like that. That's true. Or like it, fe- that there's something in that, or whether it like feels like too much to ask for, or it's like it all sounds like fun and games to be like honest with myself and take care of myself until the thing comes up where I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't want or need that thing. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so funny because I I run this nine month course tent where it's all about identifying, honoring, and advocating for your needs, and there always comes this point where. We're getting really honest with ourselves. We're getting really honest with ourselves where the group is sort of like, I don't want to need that. Yeah. Like, can it be something else? You know, <laughs> can it be something that looks like lovelier on Instagram? Or like, you know, that chick over there is having like rose petals and red rose quartz in her bath. And that looks way better than me. Like, you know, <laughs> just like sobbing on the floor, like trying to figure out this like one little thing and, you know, ask for um, my partner to, you know, have sex with me in a different way, totally vulnerable or say, I want to open up my relationship or like all of these conversations we super want to avoid. Um, and I think that that piece of, this is really why I started my podcast needy to give people an opportunity to really talk about what their needs are. Because when the examples of needs that we get are like lovely like I need to, you know, do something like totally lovely and like a perfectly curated outfit. Um, you know, then when I'm sitting over here with my needs, which are like, feel like I'm just like army crawling through the sludge. I don't want to need that. I want to need that lovely thing over there. And so I think that, that a big part of this is really giving yourself permission to have inconvenient needs um, needs that are, uh, risky in your relationships, um, needs that feel vulnerable, partially formed. You know, another piece about this is that we, we want to kind of like have it all figured out and then take action on it. Um, or think we should have it all figured out and then take action on it. And so we inherently don't like being in that space of, transformation or, you know, chaos as it might be. And I think we have to give voice to that too. Like sometimes we don't know what we need. Sometimes what we need is so scary that we circle around it and avoid it for two months before, you know, or two years before being able to look at it directly. Like I know I need to leave this person, but I just cannot deal with imagining that I'm going to have to completely reinvent my entire life, you know, or I need to get really honest with myself that I'm attracted to, you know, this kind of person who's totally different than who I kind of thought I was going to be attracted to. And that upends my complete perception of who I am as a human being, that there are these things that we avoid. And sometimes it's like, doesn't even have to be that dramatic, but it feels dramatic to be that vulnerable, to be that intimate. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I think, you know, what's most important is being honest with yourself and giving yourself that space and that permission to not have to figure it out immediately or take action on it immediately. It's like, I always think about it like feeling your way around something. It's like, can I, can I acknowledge that and, you know, feel around it and and think about it and, you know, give myself permission not to talk. I don't have to talk to anybody about it. You know, I don't have to set the boundary yet. I don't have to have the hard conversation yet. I don't have to, you know, quit my job yet, whatever it is. I can just start to, to, to hold on to my truth and to think about what it's going to mean and to get ready. Um, even though we're never truly ready, but you know, that, that, um, give ourselves that permission to be in process instead of, I don't know, have like a fully formed and actionable need. Yeah, I really like the way that you phrase it about like have being willing to have inconvenient or risky needs. Because I think that that's the key for so much of this. Like I, the example that comes up for me, um, because it's like, very timely, was spending like, all of December off, like my personal Instagram, which is like, definitely a need that it's like probably doesn't actually matter, right? That this is a thing that I'm choosing to do or have chosen to do. And yet I circled around it for months, like sort of realizing, oh, this actually is a need for me. Like I need some space from this and it feels both inconvenient and risky and being willing to give that to myself anyway. Like it took me some time to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it takes time. Yeah. It t- it's, it's also, I think, one of the reasons that these types of conversations are really important because I will say it's the, the, what helped me get there was like two people whose like lives and work I respect doing the similar, doing a similar thing, right? Like seeing them do that. It's almost not that you need permission, but I do think it really is important to take those kinds of risks or do these sort of inconvenient things like out loud when it is safe to do so, because then it really does open up like a different side of the conversation. Like, okay, like that's a thing that's being done. Like I can also do that. Totally. No, I had heard over and over and over again from so many of my clients that, you know, nobody in their personal life, like at all, were talking about their needs ever. Um, and just how common it is that we we feel totally alone in even having needs. And we see ourselves as weak or, you know, too much or problematic or, you know, selfish um, for, for even having needs, which is really one of the reasons why I love to have this conversation out loud and, you know, in front of other people. And, you know, I've said so many uncomfortable things over the course of this conversation. I'll probably have like a vulnerability hangover when I get off this, this call. But like, I, I so believe in this conversation that we're having right now Mm -hmm. in being honest about these things, because we need to know what it's like, like we need to, you know, have a, have some sort of framework for understanding that there are other people on this planet who have needs. And when I started my podcast, it's so funny because every time I interview somebody before the the interview, there is like, I don't honestly, I'm not like, like sure why you asked me <laughs> to be on this podcast um, called needy uh, because I haven't worked any of this out, uh, which is great, right? Like I'm not looking for expert self-care people. I'm looking for people to talk about how they are trying to make this work in their life so that we just have like this 
you know, starting to build up um, a library of stories for what it looks like to figure this out as you go. Um, but unless people are brave or willing to have these kinds of conversations, you know, by and large, the only thing that we see about self-care are those bathtubs filled with, you know, petals and, and rose quartz. And we, we feel just horrendously messy, wrong, too much, all over the place, out of sorts by comparison. Mm-hmm. Can you share an example, I mean, either something that's going on for you right now, or maybe has come up in the last year or so of like a need that has presented itself that is inconvenient or riskier that you felt like you weren't able to meet right away? Because I think some needs, it's like, oh, actually, what I need is to like rehydrate and not to say that that's not important, but that's a relatively simple, I need this thing, I can go fill up the glass of water, I can have the water, right? Um, And some other things I think take like longer to get to. Do you have any examples of that for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, something that I've been kind of playing with this year has to do with um, feeling like wanting to feel desirable, like wanting to reconnect with a part of myself um, that's like more intimate and sexier. And, you know, I went through this like period of time. I had it like I had a kid. I broke my ankle. It took me like half a year to start walking again. had another kid. So that body autonomy, like I haven't had that for a while. And, you know, what's interesting about this has been that, you know, like my first take on this need was to be like really pissed at my partner for like, I need you to desire me. I need you to like compliment me or whatever, like care at all what I'm doing. Um, And my partner being like, I'm pretty unavailable for that right now because we have two kids. We don't get any sleep. We've got all this stuff going on. And like, I understand this is really important for you, but like, I'm just not in that space right now. So that's an example of that boundary setting, right? Like she is not available for that. And I would like her to be because what is easy for me is to lean into that energy when being propped up by another person. That's like how I have always met that need before. So then there was like a lot of temper tantrums about that um, because I wanted that need to be met in a way that was convenient and easy for me. And it, it led me to really rethinking, okay, well, you know, how am I not that, not that it's not important. Obviously, like a need like this is interwoven because part of it is relational. So there is that piece. But, you know, what I was doing was n- wanting something, needing something, not really knowing how to deal with it and being like, you know, can you just fix it for me, mm-hmm. really? Instead of getting creative about how I can do some work around adoring myself and cherishing myself and really like stoking this fire in my relationship with myself, which has a lot to do with how I'm taking care of my body, um, how I'm like dressing, how, you know, like what I'm paying attention to and being really intentional in feeding this um, more like passionate and vibrant side of me. Because what I've learned is like, it's kind of about sex, but it's also for me really about feeling uh, really lit up and really passionate And so starting to meet that need uh, for myself has meant doing some things like, 
you know, like getting dressed in a certain way, buying underwear that I really like, that kind of stuff. But it has also meant becoming more active in the local political scene here, which in some ways is like totally takes me outside of my original scope. But what I've noticed is like, like what I'm, what I'm actively looking at is feeding that fire in me. And that fire, that appetite, that vibrancy has to do with um, meeting my sexual needs, meeting my um, needs for feeling like turned on and lit up in that scope of my life, but also being turned on and lit up in other scopes of my life as well. So, you know, just being open to exploring that, um, being open to looking at like, how, how can I get creative about meeting that need? How can I, um, lean into without, and I'm not saying, you know, you drop the piece where you're like, obviously like this is an important part of my relationship. So like that does not go away, but it's also not a replacement for the relationship that I have with myself. Mm hmm. And that piece, like being really intentional about how I'm doing my own work so that I can be in good working order and can feel really kind of like lit up on my own terms has been really powerful and really exciting. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful, honest example of, I mean, so many things that we've already been talking about, like, okay, if I want to feel this way, like, can I get more creative of it's not the only way to meet this need isn't this one very specific thing that if this person can't give this to me, then like, the need is just not met, right? To your point, like that's still a relevant piece of it. But how can I get more creative about meeting some of these needs for myself? And what's my responsibility versus like, what's in the relationship? And like, yeah, like that, it makes so much sense to me, the sort of evolution that you just took us through of that example. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's exciting, right? Because like a lot of this work is about being in good working order yourself. And being willing to take responsibility for that. And I think, you know, we avoid looking at ourselves directly, being honest with ourselves for so many reasons. But this amazing thing can happen when we're really reconnecting with ourselves and really um, intentionally creating a life around us that feels good, that we see ourselves in, that that is interesting to us. And a lot of that comes from that creativity and being willing to be honest with what your needs are and, you know, how you're gonna, how you're gonna meet them. And, you know, as I said, it's like, you're not an island, like other people, of course, still matter. But for so many of us, uh, like, not so sneaky form of self-tabotage is to get ourselves stuck in this place of like, well, I want this. And they said, no, huh? Like now I'm pissed. They can't, I can't have it. Um, that's a really familiar place for me, uh, to be sort of like sullen. Like I want this thing. And you said like, it's your, like this, either this has to work or, you know, I have to find somebody with whom this works. But really what I'm doing here is offloading my responsibility to myself for, you know, my needs. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate what you said about the perspective switch of like 
looking at meeting your needs as something that can be exciting, like something that I have noticed that I've struggled with in the past is this idea of self-care or meeting needs sort of being like, oh my God, this is just one more thing I have to do, right? Which you sort Mm -hmm. of touched on earlier of like, you know, here's the huge laundry list of things that I have to check off in order to be okay. And so let me like rush through those things. So I like have met the, and then I, it doesn't work, right? Like I wind up sort of feeling worse and that like getting curious about, well, if the whole point of this is feeling good, sure, sometimes I'm not going to want to do the things that are the best for me or that I need but like can this be fun like what if I had a different attitude towards this like I think there's something in that that's like interesting and relevant as well Hmm. yeah you know I mean I'm a big fan of taking those like shitty things as I said at the beginning of this call right like how can I take make that personal admin day and like bribe, bribe myself to do it by making it really fun you know I love to do that to do it in all sorts of capacities. It's like, I have to make all of these horrible phone calls. Well, you know, maybe after that, I'm gonna go to this really beautiful place to go for a walk. Um, or like, whatever, buy that fancy velvet scrunchie I've really been wanting. But like, how can I make the process of doing the thing feel as good to me specifically? You know, can I listen to my favorite radio station? Can I, um, you know, make it feel better in some way, feel exciting in some way. Uh, Because we don't just have to like buckle down and get through things. You know, not all of the things that we're doing for our self-care is going to feel good. A lot of it's going to feel uncomfortable or bad. But, you know, our approach can take us personally into account. And, you know, we can be creative about, is there a way that I can get that done that um, plays to my strengths, that includes something that lights me up, that, uh, that works for me in particular. And, you know, I, I find like asking just those questions, taking those really small, um, small uh, daily choices off of autopilot and making them really intentional makes such a felt difference in your life as a whole. Yeah, completely. How have you, or I guess like what has been helpful for you in creating consistency with this kind of stuff? And so it's not just the cycle of like only taking care of yourself when like, I don't want to say like it's an emergency, but sort of right where it's sort of Mm -hmm. the like you get into the burnout cycle or okay, like something's really wrong. So now I'm going to take care of myself and sort of switching into this being like more of an ongoing practice. Mm. What has been the most useful thing to me in this area is being, uh, is managing my expectations. Um, because once I got into right relationship with how long something's going to take me, um, how many things I can actually put on my list for any given day, uh, what, what a real live human being (laughs) with feelings and needs, um, is actually able to accomplish or prioritize, you know, like once I really started to fine tune my relationship with space and time, I, I started to have more consistency, um, because I said before, you know, I used to have these grand plans, which I would overwhelm myself into a place of inaction, just like over and over again. And it was really disempowering. And so, you know, there's nothing sexy at all about saying like, I'm going to lace my shoes up and I'm going to go for a five minute walk, like a five minute walk. My brain just wants to say like, you're an embarrassment and why bother? But 
a five minute walk, you know, it's like once I lace my shoes up and I get outside, you know, a five minute walk easily becomes a 15 minute walk, a 20 minute walk, a five minute walk I can build on a five minute walk over the course of seven days is 35 minutes that I may not have done anything otherwise if my plan was to, you know, run for 60 minutes when I hadn't ever run before, you know, so it's important to be in that space of being in, in right relationship with our expectations. And that like that helps consistency so much because when we create, um, you know, things to do for ourselves that are, that we, we can actually achieve with regularity, then the momentum starts to build upon itself. And before we know it, yeah, maybe we're more easily able to prioritize moving our bodies up to, you know, an hour, two hours often, but you don't start there. And, you know, you counteract that piece in your mind that says like, oh, you know, writing for 10 minutes. Well, it's not even worth pulling out your notebook. For me, it's been a complete paradigm shift uh, around what is meaningful work, what is meaningful to do, and really retraining myself to understand like, okay, well, you know, I start small and I build on it and look how much success I've had with that. Look how many things I've brought to fruition because of that, how many habits I've created because of that. And even though it doesn't feel sexy, doesn't feel really worth my time, uh, I'm able to see that the other way was really just a bunch of dead ends for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I need this reminder all the time. I really struggle quite a bit with like balancing the type of thing you're talking about, like with my ambition or with sort of the, I think like false beliefs or misconceptions about, you know, like what I think something is going to take, or like you said, like, oh, 10 minutes isn't worth it, right? Or that type of thing. If my ambition for a thing feels like really big, then it's like, oh, the only way to get there is by doing these like really big actions that then just kind of perpetuates that cycle of, well, the thing's too big, so then I'm not going to do it. And then that never feels good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, and this is like, it's we're taught. We're taught to... um set ourselves up in that way. Uh, and so it is like a big unlearning to, to find a, a different, more manageable way to relate to yourself and, um, and to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And to define like what success looks like for yourself. Totally. Yeah, I guess that's like a good last question that I'd love to ask you. So right now, like in your real life, December 2019, what does success look like for you? working a lot less than, uh, than my ambition wants me to, you know, I, I'm in a phase of life where, um, there's a lot of things I want to do, but where I'm at right now is to be able to pay my bills and, you know, keep a roof over our head, but spend as much time, um, as possible, just like being around in my house, making sure that everybody's well taken care of both my kids are well taken care of and what success is like for me right now is more slow growth you know it's more sustainable it's it's less like flash in the pan big launches big paydays big you know whatever um and more like incremental growth that i can um that i can nourish uh while doing a lot of living. So, you know, this December, 
I was really thoughtful about what I wanted December to look like. And I decided that one of the things that I, that's really important to me is that I want to have like a lot of holiday traditions of our own. And, you know, I love, I had a lot of holiday traditions when I was a kid. And so, you know, I wanted to, the first thing I really wanted to do was I wanted to make my own advent calendar. So I created, I had the idea for this last year, talk about slow growth, didn't manifest until this year. Um, but I kept the list that I wrote last year of what I wanted to do. And I put, um, 25 little like numbered bags on the wall that each had, um, an activity that we are doing, you know, that we could do together as a family, like make ornaments or bring cookies to our neighbors or write a, you know, list for Santa, um, get a Christmas tree, that kind of thing. Um, And so, you know, with the intention that what would feel like a really good and really successful month of December is to spend some time celebrating all of the hard work that I've done this year, really just like being cozy and, you know, spending a lot of quality time together and, you know, having some of these things, like I wanted to get a a nativity set that was like important. I want to make, I want to, wanted to sew, um, stockings, new stockings for all of us, like that kind of thing. And for me now where I'm at, like, that's all really included in, um, in what success is. Um, you know, I'm only eating those 10 things. As I said, I wanted, I challenged myself to be able to make a really good Thanksgiving stuffing that only (laughs) included the ingredients that I could eat. Um, you know, so it's like stuff like that. That's not, um, the like big ambitious goals that, you know, I'm also very slowly writing a book, right? Like that's more exciting, more ambitious, but success to me right now doesn't look like having a book finished. Success looks like working on the things that are meaningful to me, like not losing sight of my work, but making a lot of time for taking care of these other aspects of my life, because that's the season that I'm in right now. Mm. I love all of that so much. And kind of looking outward, I guess, like as an offering, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I think that, you know, everything that I'm talking about today, everything that I've, that I've said comes back to the one question of what do I need right now? And asking yourself that question daily, a couple times a day, but really thinking about how we build our relationship with ourselves is so similar to how we build a relationship with somebody else you know, we show up, we're curious, we ask questions, you know, we, we like get to know one another, we, we prioritize that, that relationship, you know, and so when we want to build a relationship with ourselves, doing the same, you know, getting curious, asking, not expecting that we know the answer already, um, you know, (laughs) meeting ourselves for coffee dates, but, just turning inwards as many times as possible to ask yourself that question, what do I need? And, and using that data slowly, but surely to cultivate a life that's meaningful for you. Mm, I love that. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a particular favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, you can 
Well, you can always find me at marglatzel.com. That's like my my official online home. Um, you can sign up to get emails from me there. I love to write emails. Um, but you can also find me on Instagram. That's like my favorite, favorite other place to hang, uh, more casual place to hang. And you can find me at marglatzel on Instagram. Yeah, everyone should definitely follow you on Instagram, particularly your stories. They're so good. I love them so much. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you. And you know, that's so funny with the stories. It's like, that was an example of, you know, I never did stories before my daughter was born, my second daughter. And it was really like, I have a desire to connect. I also want to keep building my community, but like, I can't use any of the methods that I have been using up until this point. What I can do is sort of like write stories with, you know, while I'm nursing over the course of the day. And so that's another example of like doing what you can with what you have. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. So go say hi. And as I said way back at the very top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready to tell me some things. Oh, so excited. What's one thing that you're feeling particularly proud of from this year so far? Um, I think this year has been like a big year with a lot of change and a lot of ways that I didn't expect. Like I broke up out of a long-term relationship and I moved just to within the same city I was living before, but I had been living with my partner. And so I moved and then I've just been living alone now. So it's been a year of definitely like learning how to check in with myself and like tell my own truth in a way that I had like been ignoring for a while. And so I think that's like what I'm most proud of this year is how I've been able to really hone into like what I want to do and what it feels like to live a life that feels really intentional. Mm, Yeah. I mean, as someone who has witnessed a lot of that happening for you this year, yes, yes, yes. All those things. Yeah. What do you feel like is making you come alive lately? What are you doing when you feel most alive? Ooh. Um, I've been getting more into running and I think like sometimes running feels like the worst thing in the world, but sometimes it definitely is like just being outside and like feeling like I'm do some, doing something really like, beneficial for myself and like getting out of my head in that way has made me feel like better throughout every day too. So I think that's probably what makes me feel the most alive. Yeah, I have recently started running again um, in the last few weeks. And you're right, sometimes it feels like very awful, particularly when you're getting back into it. And But when it's good, it's so good to the point where I'm almost resentful that the like ROI of endorphins and like post-activity feel good for me, like with running, it is like way more with running than everything else. Like obviously I love hiking. I love like lots of other things, but nothing makes me feel the way that running does. And sometimes I wish that that wasn't the case. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's a great one because it's like free and you can do it anywhere. But then it's also like, yeah, because when it's terrible, it's really terrible. And I was listening to a Lauren Fleshman interview and she was talking about how like you have to run on the bad days. So you're ready on the good days to like, 
be able to run far and like receive the good days essentially. And I was like, ah, I hate that so much. I mean, Lauren Fleshman, wise, wise woman, right? And appropriate for running and also for life in general. Yep. (laughs) What's one thing that you're currently working to be better at? Uh, so I work as a tax accountant and so we have like a ton of projects that I manage all the time. And so we just wrapped up one year essentially, and I'm definitely working on getting better at like keeping progress moving in large projects, like doing the things you need to do each week. You say this a lot to like move the things down the field. Right. So it's like, how do you keep projects moving even when you have like too much to possibly do on your own? And so I think that's something I'm like gearing up to for next year. And I'm like really getting into planning mode. Um, so I don't know if I'm actually doing it better, but I really, really want to do it better. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. What's one thing that you've read or watched or listened to lately that you really enjoyed and want to recommend? I just finished On Beauty by Zadie Smith, which is a novel. And I just thought there were so many beautiful moments in it. And I've thought about it a lot since I finished reading it. So I guess I would probably recommend that. I don't know how I haven't read that yet. That feels like pretty wild. So I need to bump that up my list. Thank you for that reminder. It's really good. I want to go back and like find all the parts I love the most out of it, but I like have to return it to the library and I'm kind of sad. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's relatable. I've been getting pretty much all of my books from the library this year. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? That's my last question for you. Um, I think kind of, and I think maybe this is like a really hard thing to express, but the difference between like how you make things happen that you want to, that you want to happen in your life. So I think like a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, I just like flipped a switch. And then I was like somebody who could like go train every day for a marathon or like, I, you know, like it can always, it can seem like people like drop everything overnight to like start their own businesses. And so I think like, you talk about this a lot, but like the process of like how you make those decisions and how you like put yourself in the space you want to be in. And also like the hard choice of doing that every day. I think like we don't always talk about the progression of getting from one step to another or how that progression feels and like the doubts you have during it. Mm, Yeah, that's really well said. I've been thinking a lot about similar, something similar lately that just like I'm also interested in people being, you know, more honest about the process and the actual steps with sort of the caveat that what worked for them isn't necessarily like a blueprint for what will work for someone else, right? Like we're all similar, but we're also all different. We're dealing with different health, different mental health, different finances, different home situation, different amount of free time, different amount of energy, right? Like all that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes it can be really easy for someone to say, well, I did X, Y, and Z. So if you just do X, Y, and Z, then you can also have that. And so I'm always interested in sort of the acceptance of how helpful really a lot of the honesty that you're talking about is. I think there's so much that we can learn from what works and doesn't work for other people. And also I have to always remind myself that just because like this 10-step thing worked for someone else, there's nothing wrong with me if it doesn't work for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that's why, like, I'm also kind of craving the, like, how people felt as they went through the process, because it's not necessarily how I will feel. But I think, like, there's always a lot of, like, me too moments in that. And so when when people not only talk about the process, but talk about, like, the self-doubt they had during that process, it can help me remember that, like, just because it looked like a progression for them doesn't mean they always 
felt like it was a progression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's always more relatable than like the actual steps of what they did. Yeah, I think so too. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests. Can you share why you decided to support the show or, you know, why you continue supporting the show? Yeah, I I mean, I just really love the show and getting a lot of different perspectives. I came out of a like very religious upbringing. And so I felt like I hadn't been very like immersed in a lot of different perspectives and ideas about the world. Cause I kind of grew up with like, here's how you think about the world. Here's the truth about the world. And then when you kind of lose that, it's like, where do you go from there? And so I think I really love your show because it's like, it's the guest that I don't even think like, Oh, I'm really interested in this topic that, like I end up getting a lot out of like the first one I listened to that where you guys talked about like being a witch or something like that. It's like something that I have like always been taught to shy away from, but like, I feel like I just get exposed to like a ton of really beautiful ideas through the podcast. And so I wanted to support the show um, and yeah, keep spreading that, the like telling the truth. Yeah, I, I love that. It's it's always really heartwarming for me to hear it. what you just said is actually like really common feedback that I get from people that say, you know, this one episode that I thought, you know, I'm not going to be interested in this or I have nothing in common with this person, like wound up being my favorite or wound up being the one that I like actually could relate to or that I learned something from and sort of that switch of I didn't think that this was for me. And then actually it was I hear that all the time. It's like one of my favorite things. Yeah. It's awesome. Do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link so folks can say hi? Yeah, I live in Seattle and my Instagram is Sarah, S-A-R-H, kangaroo. So yeah, I do a lot of hiking pictures. So if you're not interested in that, I would just steer clear. Hiking, (laughs) hiking. Clearly, I'm not interested in that at all. Yeah. (laughs) Your listeners will want to will want to see those. But. Heck yeah! Um, and to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to Patreon.com/slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of one dollar or more per episode. Your support is what allows this show to continue, and I can't wait to get to know you better once you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 